We are right in the middle of the book of Jonah here, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 will be our reading this morning and our focus for the sermon. So Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, now we ask for your help. We're grateful that we have your word. We're grateful that we can spend this time meditating on it, considering it, Father. We pray that you would give us ears to hear it and that our hearts would be welcoming and submissive to what you have to say to us. Lord, give us faith to believe. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I grew up with uh, two sisters, and I was the only boy in the family. Our house uh, had three bedrooms upstairs, one for each of us kids, and my parents' bedroom was on the main level of the house, and the stairs were just off of our living room, and at the bottom of our, sta- our, our stairwell, we have this uh, three-foot-by-two-foot landing Um, right at the bottom of the stairs, which of course was perfect for my mother to stack things on that needed to be brought upstairs to our bedrooms. So anything that uh, we had left in the kitchen or in the living room, toys, books, shoes, she'd even put our, our, our folded clean laundry there on that landing for us to then just, you know, swoop it up as we head upstairs to our bedrooms during the day and you know, we're the only ones going upstairs. My, my, my folks didn't go upstairs. They had a bedroom on the main level. They didn't need to go up there, so it would be our responsibility, our job, to bring our stuff up the stairs. But, but even though the stuff would be there on the landing, and we'd be heading upstairs quite often throughout the day, we, we didn't always grab it on our, on our way up the stairs. We'd just kind of leave it there for someone else to worry about. It didn't concern us all that much. And uh, as is often the case for sisters who have a brother, they like to tell their brothers what to do. This is a regular occurrence for me in my relationship with my sisters. And uh, so my my older sister in in particular would often tell me when she saw me finally gathering up some of my things on the stairs to bring up to my room, she would say, well, you might as well just grab, you know, some of my stuff as well on your way up. Since you're going up anyway, you know, just grab my stuff too. And You might be surprised to hear this, but when she would tell me to carry her stuff up for her, I would usually just kind of ignore her and and go up the stairs with my things. Or I I might make some comment right right back to her regarding my lack of interest in doing something like that for her at that time. Now, we'd often get in arguments about those things, and so as a compromise, my mother decided that we should just take turns bringing the stuff up the stairs you know, I would do it once, then my younger sister, then my older sister. We just, we just take turns bringing the stuff up. But for some reason, even though there were only three of us, it always seemed to be my turn to bring the stuff upstairs, at least according to my sisters. And so in those moments um, when they would tell me, it's your turn, it's your turn, 
I would usually defend myself by stating, well, you know, you're not the boss of me. You're not the one who tells me what to do. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, it's not my turn. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's yours. I'm not going to do it. Well, on certain occasions, of course, they would point to a higher authority. They would say, mom said it was your turn. Mom said you were supposed to do it. Now, when they would say those words, of course, the stakes had been raised. They were claiming that the command was not just coming from them. They were not just expressing their own desire. They were not just saying what they wanted to have happen. They were relaying a message from someone else. They were speaking to me not just their own words, but the words of my mother. So if I was going to ignore what they told me, I wouldn't just be ignoring them. I would have been ignoring my mother. If I would disobey their command in that moment, I wouldn't just be disobeying them, I would be disobeying my mother. Which, of course, would bring about certain consequences for me. So even though the messengers that my mother chose to relay her message to me were of questionable character, the words they were speaking to me were still her words. And I had to treat them as such. Now, when we read the Bible, a similar thing happens. We are reading or hearing words conveyed to us by men. The biblical authors are the ones who wrote these words down for us. Men that none of us know personally. And yet, the words that they were conveying to us are not just their words, they are the words of God. One of my favorite Bible teachers, J.I. Packer, explained it like this in his book, uh, Concise Theology. He says, what scripture says, God says. For in a manner comparable only to the deeper mystery of the incarnation, the Bible is both fully human and fully divine. So all its manifold contents, histories, prophecies, poems, songs, wisdom writings, sermons, statistics, letters, and whatever else should be received as from God. And all that Bible writers teach should be revered as God's authoritative instruction. Christians should be grateful to God for the gift of his written word and conscientious in basing their faith and life entirely upon it. Otherwise, we cannot ever honor or please him as he calls us to do. I think he's right. I think he's exactly right with his understanding of how we are to think about and respond to the Bible. So the main theme we're seeing here from Jonah 3, 1 through 5 is similar. We must respond to the word of the Lord with faith, repentance, and obedience. We must respond to the word of the Lord with faith, repentance, and obedience. Now, as we've seen so far, the book of Jonah is uh, a brief but fascinating narrative and one of the primary themes of the book is that the world that we live in is a world that has the word of the Lord. 
This is a world, a world where God has spoken, and he has spoken personally. Uh, the book began with the word of the Lord in, in chapter 1, and now the book is, in a sense, restarting again in chapter 3 with the word of the Lord. It's almost like the word of the Lord is the primary character in the narrative. Uh, therefore, since the word of the Lord is here, we must respond to it, and how we respond to the word of the Lord will determine much about our lives now and whether or not we will enjoy the life to come. So responding to the word of the Lord is the main theme of these verses, and we will see first the word of the Lord and Jonah. We can say word of the, the word of the Lord and Jonah part two, because that's what we had in chapter one, the very beginning of our, of our series. Verses one through three there, and Secondly, the word of the Lord as a merciful warning in chapter, or in, I'm sorry, in verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 5, the best response to the word of the Lord. So first, the word of the Lord and Jonah, part 2, here in verses 1 through 3. Now, if you've been with us since we began this series last month, uh, these verses should sound familiar to you as you hear them. Verse 1 through 3 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now as those words are still floating around in your eardrums, listen now to these verses from chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the two passages here are almost identical, uh, with just a couple of slight differences. Uh, the word of the Lord is almost the same, with just uh, the difference of God first mentioning why Jonah was to call out against Nineveh in chapter 1. And then here in chapter 3, he's told specifically what he is to say to Nineveh once he gets there. Uh, the big difference comes in the third verse <clears throat> in comparing chapter 1 with chapter 3. For, of course, in chapter 1, we get the transition word, but, <clears throat> in verse 3, at the beginning of verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That is, but instead of obeying the word of the Lord, instead of doing what the Lord had just told him he was to do, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Chapters 1 and 2 then were focused on what happened because of Jonah's attempt to flee away from the word of the Lord. But now in chapter 3, rather than a but for a transition, indicating a change from what was expected, we have a so, indicating that Jonah's response is exactly the response we should expect when the Lord gives a command. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The mission hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed, but there has been a transformation in 
the messenger in Jonah. There's been a restoration accomplished here by the grace of God. This rebellious prophet is now the willing, obedient prophet. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah once again, a second time, it says, and Jonah is given a second chance by God's grace to fulfill his special calling and be the messenger, be the mouthpiece for God to the people of Nineveh. And he goes. He arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, most of you know that, that, that I am a baseball fan. Um, I think it is a wonderfully challenging as well as a beautiful game. And one of the things that make the game so beautiful is this opportunity that the game of baseball provides uh, the players for redemption. No matter what may happen in one game, if a player has had a bad game, well, there will always be another game, usually the very next day. And even during the game, if a player is having a bad night at the plate, strikes out the first three times he's up to bat, he may get one more at bat in the bottom of the last inning with the tying run on third base with an opportunity to get a hit and be the hero of the game. Or if the player is a a defensive player and, and, and he makes a terrible error early in the game and, and costs uh, the team a run, well, maybe again in the bottom of the last inning with that tying run on base and the game on the line and that batter hits it hard right in his direction, well, he's able to have the opportunity to, to make the final game-saving play, to be the hero of the game. There are always kinds of uh, all these opportunities in baseball for second chances to happen for redemption and restoration. And we are shown here that, that for God's people in life, the Lord out of his grace also provides us with opportunities for second chances. He doesn't quickly give up on his people. And this is different, of course, from how we treat each other. You know, in our society today, uh, maybe more so than at any other moment in, in my lifetime, the prevailing sentiment is to be unwilling to give anyone a second chance. Forgiveness is a grace that it seems nobody is willing to give anyone anymore. We've seen it happen to celebrities who have taken a stance or, or even said something that our hypersensitive liberal culture has judged immoral. Some have even tried to make amends and apologize for their missteps, but it doesn't matter. There's no grace for them. There's no second chances that will be given to them at all. They are out. Or maybe in one of your relationships with a friend or a family member, you have been hurt in some way by them. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe they were intentionally trying to hurt you with what they did or what they said, and so you haven't spoken to them for quite a while. You are going to make them pay for what they did. Maybe they've apologized to you. Maybe they haven't. It doesn't matter to you. You have determined there will be no second chance given for them. 
But here is God. Here is the Lord calling the same man once again to the same job, giving him the same message when before he had been such a disappointment. The first time the Lord had come to him, he flat out refused. He ran away. He did the very opposite of what he was called to do. He couldn't have been more of a disappointment. Now just imagine for a moment that you were the Lord's counselor. Okay, you're the Lord's counselor. You're, you're his assistant. Um, you're you're a, 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 an archangel, and you're there up with, with the Lord, and you, you saw how this turned out the first time with Jonah. And now you see what, what the Lord's doing again. You're going you're to use him again. You're going to give him the same command. I think we'd be advising the Lord to maybe, maybe consider someone else. Consider someone else. Someone with a little stronger character maybe. Someone with a little more courage. Someone who will actually listen and follow through with what you ask him to do. I mean, let's move on from this Jonah character. But instead, we see the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The Lord's not like us. The Lord is not like us. Listen to how the Lord described himself to us through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? Why would the wicked forsake his way? Why would, why would the unrighteous man his forsake his thoughts, and be able to return to the Lord because there's grace to be found there. There's mercy to be found there. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. What we are seeing here in the first few verses of Jonah chapter 3 is something that is unusual for us. It is quite remarkable, and it lines up directly with the character of our covenant God, who has committed himself to the restoration and the redemption of his people. John Calvin put it like this. There is here set before us a remarkable proof of God's grace that he was pleased to bestow on Jonah his former dignity and honor. God not only restored him to life, but favored him again with the office of a prophet. And this time, Jonah responds to the word of the Lord in exactly the way he ought to have responded the first time. This time when the word of the Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I wonder how often it could be said of you that, you are, that what you are doing is according to the word of the Lord. 
How often could that be said of you? What I did today was according to the word of the Lord. What I'm, what I'm about to do is according to the word of the Lord. Remember what Jesus said about God's word in the Gospels. Matthew and Luke both record Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 in his showdown with the devil in the wilderness. And Jesus said there, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If Christians are people who are to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, then we ought to be listening pretty closely to what his word is telling us to do. And then rising and doing it. Christians are to be the ones who are living their lives according to the word of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, are we doing that? Are you doing that? Secondly, the word of the Lord has a merciful warning here, verses 3 and 4. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now a lot has been written and debated about the size of Nineveh and how long it actually took Jonah to walk through the city, and although it is very interesting, it definitely misses the point of what our author wants us to have on our minds here in these verses. When we read verse 3, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. The literal Hebrew text is actually pointing us back to God and what God thought about Nineveh, rather than what, what we're supposed to think. Uh, the literal, literal reading of exceedingly great in Hebrew Le Elohim would be something like great to God. Nineveh meant a lot to God. Also, we should notice that it is the Lord himself who refers to Nineveh as a great city, not once, but twice uh, in verses, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1 and, and again in verse 2 of chapter 3. God calls it a great city. Go to Nineveh, that great city. That is what God thinks of Nineveh. That is how he expected Jonah to think of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh meant something great to God. And so he sends Jonah there to Nineveh to deliver a message from him. And it is a message meant to warn them, to warn them of what's coming. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now again, a lot has also been made about how brief of a message this is. It is just five words in the original Hebrew text, just, just five words. But, but once again, I don't believe the author intends us to assume that there were only these five words that Jonah spoke. Uh, when we read the prophets, the messages that, that, that they, they proclaim from the Lord are always way more in-depth than just five words. But, but here we are given, uh, what, what, what we are given here then in these five words is a summary of Jonah's message to the wicked people of Nineveh. Nineveh and its dire warning, 40 days, and the city would be overthrown, overturned, destroyed. This is God's message to the city, to its people. This is the dire warning. Beware. 
Beware, destruction is coming. Now, this couldn't have been a welcome message to the people that heard this. You know, people don't usually like to hear messages like this. We generally don't like to have people accuse us of wrongdoing, especially if we haven't, you know, thought that we've done anything wrong. We don't like to have people warn us of the consequences of our evil behavior, and this is exactly what Jonah was doing here. He was pointing his finger at the people of Nineveh, all the people of Nineveh, at the common people, at the leaders, at the poor in the city, at the wealthy in the city. He was declaring to them that their wickedness had come up before God, and in 40 days, judgment would fall on them, on the entire city. Nineveh will be overthrown. This would happen because of their sin, their wickedness, their evil had come up before the Lord. Definitely not a message that was positive and encouraging. Jonah probably wouldn't have been invited to appear on Nineveh's Caleb station uh, as a guest host, um, although he was faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord. Jonah didn't come into the city and gently lead the, the Ninevites to God. He wasn't attempting to do friendship evangelism here, nor was he offering them any hope whatsoever. He was threatening them with destruction and seemed to not even offer them any hope of pardon. He was not out to win friends. He was simply fulfilling the responsibility of the Lord's prophet. That is, proclaim the word of the Lord, whatever it is, good news or bad news, you proclaim the word of the Lord. He was not to add to the message or subtract from it. He was just to re-say what God had said. Look back again. Call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, I'm sure you, 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 you realize that we are currently living in a society that will not put up with warnings like this one. Our society doesn't allow words like this to be spoken, and when they are spoken, we definitely don't take them seriously. You know, words like sin, righteousness, and judgment are considered to be blasphemous to the gods of our civilization. And yet, the world we live in is, is in just as much danger as Nineveh was, if not more. Consider what the Word of the Lord declares in Romans 1, 18. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is not a warning of a judgment to come in the future. This is a word about the state of the world as it was when the Apostle Paul first wrote those words down. And it continues today. For what Paul describes as the signs of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven upon the world are still clearly evident in our world, in our culture, especially from what we all saw throughout the so-called Pride Month. Again, back to Romans 1. 24 through 28. Therefore God gave them up 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. This is the wrath of God being revealed. God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Judgment has been falling upon our culture, our nation, our society. It's evident. For all those who refuse to fear the Lord, who reject his word, who pursue sin and wickedness and suppress the truth of the reality of God and of his moral authority over their lives by their unrighteousness, the Lord is giving them up to a debased mind in his just wrath. And if they continue in these ways, they will experience the full measure of God's wrath in hell forever. That's bad news. That is bad news for them. It is, it is hard to hear, and it's definitely hard for us to say. But it is the word of the Lord. And if they believe, if they receive that word, and agree with God about their sin, about their need for repentance, well then we'll also be their salvation. That hard word will be for them their salvation. Words of warning save lives. The word of the Lord always engages us with eternal issues. As one Bible teacher put it, God's word lifts our horizons from the immediate interests of our lives to the imminent and overwhelming reality of either everlasting destruction or eternal life. God's hard words of warning can lead to eternal life if we would hear, believe, repent, and follow him, follow his words. So will we, as God's people, share his merciful words of warning to those who are in serious trouble? Finally, the best response to the word of the Lord, we see that in verse 5. The best response to the word of the Lord in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So out of all the verses in Jonah, uh, verse 5 might be the most amazing one, even more amazing than uh, chapter 1, verse 17, where Jonah is swallowed by that, that great big fish and saved from drowning there. The people of Nineveh received this threatening message of warning that had to be very hard for them to hear, and, and they don't ignore it 
as the meaningless words of some crazy man. They don't rebel against it either. They don't rage against the Lord's prophet. They instead believe and repent. All of them. From the greatest of them to the least of them. It's simply amazing. It simply testifies to God's favor on them. It's not the way it it usually goes. This, This is a rare thing. I mean, read the book of Kings where you have the Lord's people, you know, his chosen ones out of all the peoples of the earth whom he had redeemed out of Egypt doing many miraculous signs in the process and gave them the promised land and the Lord sends them, the people of Israel, his prophets calling them to repent, calling them to turn away from the idols and the false gods that they had been serving and return to the God of their salvation. Over and over and over again, he sends them prophets and they reject the prophets' messages. Over and over again, they threaten to kill the prophets in order to silence the Lord's messengers. Or read what John reports about Jesus in John chapter 1 of, the, of, of, of his gospel. Verse 11, he says, He came to his own. Jesus came to his own. His own people and his own people did not receive him. They ignored his words. They turned away from his words. They rejected his words. They rejected him. But not the people of of Nineveh. Not these people of Nineveh when Jonah shows up. They believe. It says they believed God. They heard Jonah's words and they believed God. Not, Not they believed Jonah. Or, or not they believe Jonah's message. It says clearly they believed God. They received the words of Jonah as the words of God. Like all Paul commends the Thessalonian Christians in, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. That when they received the word of God from Paul and his co-workers, he says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And how did Paul know that God's work was at at work in, in those believers? What were the signs of God's word being at work in them? Well, it was their repentance. It was their turning away from idols to serve the living and true God that that, that he describes in chapter 1, verse 9. And we see the same thing happening here with the Ninevites. They take Jonah's message seriously, not as just the words of a man, but for what it really was, the words of God. Then they repent. That's what you do when you hear the word of God. You repent. And you mourn over your sin. They mourned over their sin. They mourned over the condemnation that they had brought upon themselves. That is what putting on sackcloth is a sign of. It's a sign of mourning, of grieving over your condition, repenting of your sin. Their response to the word of the Lord is what our response must be as well whenever we hear it. Not that you have to run out 
and put on sackcloth. But respond with fear and repentance. Believe that the words are actually coming from God himself. They're his personal words. We ought to receive the scriptures for what they really are. They are the inerrant, authoritative, infallible, verbally inspired word of God. I love how our statement of faith puts it in Article 2. It says, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Why? Because it is the word of the Lord. And what it, what it promises is that if you repent of your sin and all the ways that you have rejected his word and, 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 and believed and spoken or, or done what is evil, and then you trust in the saving work of God's Son accomplished for you in his life, death, and resurrection, well, you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven and granted eternal life. You'll be saved from the wrath of God and the coming judgment. The bad news is that you are guilty. You are a guilty sinner under the wrath of God, but the good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world to save sinners like you and me. He accomplished it all for us. So trust in him, repent, live your lives from now on according to the word of the Lord and experience the joy of knowing God and walking in his ways. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled that we would, we would be the ones to be so privileged to have your word, to have received your word, to have heard your voice speak to us through these pages. Oh Lord, I pray for each one here. Father, it is so, so easy for us to, to commit on a Sunday morning to be faithful to read to listen to, to obey what your word says and have our lives shaped and molded by, by your word. And then as we face our daily lives and the struggles and the temptations and the busyness and the distractions, Father, we tend to, to leave it aside. We tend to, maybe not intentionally, but we turn away from it. Oh, Lord, help us. Have mercy on us. May we be attentive to what your word says. May we believe you, what you say. And may we follow what you say, do what you say in our lives more and more. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.